Good Karma Brands presents a roundtable discussion exploring the intersection of sports, race, and culture. I took up the world! I took up the world! Uh, it wasn't going to upset me. There was really too much to be done at that particular time in terms of breaking the baseball barrier to allow. Uh, I just honestly am so grateful that, that I had this moment that I'm sorry. <laughs> I really brought something into tennis. This is Black History Always. Here's your host, Telly Hughes, Tori Lowe, and Tony Smith. Good evening and welcome to a special Black History Always. I'm your host, Telly Hughes, and I'm pleased to be joined by two distinctive hosts themselves. We're going to start with Mr. Tory Lowe. You can catch Tory Lowe on The Truth every day from 1 to 4. Mr. Lowe, how's hey, it going? God bless you, Truth Nation. Yes, sir. Hey, powerful, powerful conversation. Yes, sir. And our other host is Mr. Tony Smith, former NBA baller, Marquette Hall of Famer. On ESPN 94.5, every day you can catch Tony on the Homer and Tony Show every day from 2 to 4 on ESPN Milwaukee 94.5. What's up, gentlemen? What's up, man? Looking forward to this. This is a special and unique roundtable discussion exploring the intersection of sports, race, and culture. And we are happy to dive into all these subject matters over the next couple of hours. We're going to have some very, very special guests joining us over the next couple of hours as we're going to discuss the contributions of African Americans in every aspect of society, from pop culture to sports to Everything that involves what we are about in our today, everyday life in society. But uh, really, really happy to have this platform, guys, because a lot of times as black men, there are very few platforms that we have that we can discuss things that we can only relate to. And um, just piggybacking off that, Tori, just talking about Black History Month what it means to you and just everyone observing the month and the history behind what African-Americans have meant to this country. Right. And, and I always say like, it's a, it's a powerful thing when you look back on our history and see where we have come from, you know, all of the struggles, all the things that we had to go through, but yet let's not forget that we're making black history as well, because there's still a lot of things that need to be done. So every day is a chance for us as individuals to contribute to that history. So I, I, agree. I believe it's a great, a great time of celebration. I yep, agree. No doubt. No yeah. Doubt. Yeah. And Tony, we are going to get into our plights and our journeys throughout our lives. And as I mentioned before, you were able to have the talent and the ability to get to the NBA, but you're from Milwaukee. And yep. and just talk about the challenges that many may not know just as an African-American that makes your journey unique as to how you got to where you are now. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, like you said, I grew up in Milwaukee. Uh, a lot of people, when they they hear my name, they hear Tony Smith, they associate me with Wauwatosa because that's where I went to high school. Uh, but I mean, a lot of people know also now that that's not where I grew up. I didn't, I didn't grow up in Tulsa, right? I'm from Milwaukee. I was grew up on 40th and center closer to Washington high school, uh, than I did Tulsa. And, uh, you know, just like uh, other, uh, black families, uh, my mom was trying to get us out of MPS because of the school system, right? Um, trying to get us to 
you know, have have better opportunities uh, and better schooling first and foremost. So, I mean, I started going to 95th Street School. Then I went to um, um, junior high in Tulsa as well, right down the street at Longfellow uh, from East. Then I went to East. So I was out in the Tulsa School District uh, pretty much all the time, right? So she she did not want us in the in the MPS system, in the Milwaukee public system. So uh, my mom, by no means was she, did she have a lot of money, right? <laughs> so she was just scraping by. Though. I mean, you talk about a struggle uh, as an adult now. Man, I can't even imagine how she did it. Yeah, I'm thinking, looking back, like, wow, how did you do that? Yeah, and it was yeah. it was me and my sister, and then I had another sister, and I'm like, what 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 was she doing? I mean, I know the job she had. I'm like, I, I don't know how she that made, ain't paying. Like, I, don't know, I don't know how <laughs> you made ends meet. I mean, this is it was incredible <laughs> what she did. Yeah. So uh, that's why I I have ultimate respect for my mom what she was able to do. Not you know just gonna lay down and, and take what was being handed right. to her. She says, no, I'm not doing that, and my kids, I had a lot of buddies at Washington, but she was like, nah, we ain't doing that. Mm-hmm. We ain't doing that. You're going to go get an education. And I mean, she was she was serious about it. And she kept me serious about it. I remember, uh, I think it was my freshman or sophomore year, man, she took me off the basketball team because oh of grades. God. Now yeah. listen, I was eligible. I had, I had like a 2.1 or 2. Point, I was eligible. Right. That's all you needed. She was like, I'm not here, it ain't. <laughs> and I was like, she's like, you're done. I was wow. like, what? Are you kidding? So suddenly I got serious and my grades got good. I don't know what happened. Uh, uh, some a light switch clicked and I was like, oh, suddenly I'm smart. At what, at what point uh, did you know that you had a shot at going on from uh, high school to college? Like, Yeah, it's it, it's different than now. Like now everything is out in the public, social right. media, everywhere, right? You're, people are talking about you and YouTube and you. Back in the day, it wasn't it wasn't like that. It was real quiet. Uh, so I didn't even think about playing college until I, my junior year. I think I started getting letters from schools, mm-hmm. uh, and I, then all suddenly I had a whole bunch of letters, and they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah." And I was like, "Whoa, this is a, I mean, all these places I never been. I ain't been nowhere, right?" Listen, I'm, I mean, my mom scraped up all the money she had and did everything just to get us out of the MPS system, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So we ain't going nowhere. The only place we went is you know Arkansas, where our uh, relatives are from. Mm-hmm. Uh, we drive down there. So you talk about not seeing much, right? And you're being uh, real narrow in, in uh, what you've seen in your life. That's what it was. And that's what it is for a lot of uh, minorities in the community. Like, you don't get an opportunity to go places. Right. Yeah, it's just no exposure. You right. don't have no money. Exposure. You can't afford to and, go anywhere. Right. And even back then, and just imagine, like, there's no social media. You don't even see it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not seeing uh, people on vacation somewhere. You're not seeing even what's out there. So you, so you don't know. So, you know, um, you know, so I went to I went to school out in Tulsa and my sister was there too. My sister's two years older than me. Uh, you know, my sister's super light. My mom is a little lighter skinned and my sister's lighter skinned, like my mom. Was, and going out there, I mean, we went the same year. We started the two twenty program, the bus system. Right. Right. Uh we were the first kids on that. And I mean, my sister didn't get along uh out in the suburbs. Uh, you know, with all the white students as 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 well, well as I did because I was playing sports. So right, right away you're in a different category, right? So right. everybody's nice yeah. to you, you're all cool. My sister, eh, they weren't so nice to her. She wasn't playing sports. So she had a totally different experience. We grew up in the same household, rode the bus together. She's got a completely different experience because That's amazing. Right. That's amazing. Because I'm playing sports Dealing with and racism. she's not. Correct. And, and I always tell people when you take your child outside of the black community, 
Uh, you may not have the issues that go on in the black community, but then you start going into other issues that that involve you actually being uh, discriminated against due to your skin color. Oh, no question. Yeah, I mean, it's all, there's, there's always going to be problems. Like, uh, if, I, if I talk to people now, I go, you, you, you gotta, you better teach your kids uh, what the deal is, or else some kids on the playground is going to teach them. Right. <laughs> that's what you don't want, right? So control the situation, which. Like I said, my mom did. She wasn't she wasn't having a lot of nonsense. So, um, you know, consequently, I grew up pretty pretty straight, and I wasn't having a lot of nonsense myself, right? So I wasn't getting in a lot of trouble. I uh, wasn't doing the high school drinking like you saw. I'm staying pretty straight laced, straight and narrow. And then once I got, uh, you know, I got smacked for my grades. Um, now my grades straighten up. I'm 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 three plus right now. So I'm like, you know, getting that done. And and you know, it's just a uh, you you gotta you gotta uh wait who's going on here yeah yeah that's ringing? your phone come on my phone don't even ring <laughs> <laughs> they heard you on the radio they heard you they, they, come on some soft this, jazz this is one, came of, this in. Is, this is one of Telly's friends <laughs> trying to trying to plan a golf trip but, over here but Tony but, be, before you finish though I do want to ask you about that just growing up and growing up on center in, which is kind of the hood in Milwaukee yeah, yep. but being not, not kind of uh, yeah, kind of uh, yeah. <laughs> but going to high school in a predominantly white high school and no, it, was, it, it was all white it was all I mean, white we, was, okay. we, were, we were the first ones over yeah there. and no. you talked about the experience of you versus your sister you being a star athlete versus your sister not being an athlete but just what type of riff did you get from the neighborhood kids that looked at you and said oh you're going over to the white school when it's time for you and they know how good you are they want you to be over at washington with them yeah i i, I didn't really get it again because you know even when i come back to the hood hey let's go to the playground i'm handling my business what you gonna do you ain't talking smack right so yeah it, if you're getting dumped like, on it it's hard like, to talk uh, yeah plus plus my uh <laughs> my good buddy who next door neighbor uh he was like the he was like the neighborhood tough guy. So it wasn't nobody talking smack, right? It was just the the, the kids at Washington on the team. They were mad because I wasn't on the team because they're like, oh, we could have won state. Like if you was on our team, we'd have right. won state, right? So that's all they were worried about. But as far as guys giving me a hard time for going out to the suburbs and school, not so much. I I, I didn't see that a lot. But but uh, when I talk about the city uh, going out when it comes to getting into the state competition mm-hmm. a lot of our schools they have they face a lot of uh discrimination with the crowds oh, and right. that's been yeah. going on for years so w- what do you see the difference as in uh when you were able to go to uh, a, a school that had mostly whites you playing on that team and then uh these teams coming out of the city going into the state uh playoffs or whatever and they are experiencing this level of uh from adults even right, well, many times. A lot of people don't understand when these kids from the streets, uh, from the city schools go upstate, it's a lot of things going on from the crowd. It's a, lot, right. so, a lot of heckling. Now, uh, it, yeah, it's now it's hard for me to comment on that because that wasn't the situation I right. was in. So I'm in the, but I'm in the opposite situation. Oh, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure things happen like that because for me it would be opposite. So I'm on the suburban team mm-hmm. and let's say we go in to play a city school. Right? Now you got all the city uh, school and and their fans uh, talking smack to me. I'm you know one. There's maybe two another black dude on the team. Two of us on the team, right? They talking smack to us, right? So, oh, so you saying you face the reverse? I face the reverse, right? Because okay. I'm out in the suburbs and I didn't and I didn't go to the city school. Now they now they looking at me and talking and talking crazy, right? So mm. I got it from that side. 
and like you say, I'm sure it was the other way around. I mean, there's always, you know, uh, people always talk. I remember about like, oh, yeah, they don't want the city schools upstate because they don't fans don't travel and they won't make money. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, see, I, the only problem with my thing is that is like you have to group teams regionally where they are to play in the playoffs. Right. Like you can't send Milwaukee up to Rhinelander to play uh, one game <laughs> right. in a regional. That ain't going to work. Right, you got you got these regions, and they are, and unfortunately, they're segregated. That's what they are. Milwaukee's mostly where all the black teams are, and they restructure the conferences too uh, to but, try but to. But that ain't gonna matter when you get to the playoffs, and right, it's, you're in this region. I'm this talking about, but sometimes when they restructure the conference, they put more black schools against each other, so they can eliminate each other before. But they can no, get to but state. that's what they say. But they have to because you're in the same vicinity. Okay, that's I'm what I'm saying. It's, it's hard to take. Uh, uh, a few schools and then have to have them drive three or four hours right just so they're not playing against other city schools that's that's where you run into but again it's the it's the problem of being all congregated in one area and being limited to you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying the, the suburbs in wisconsin as we know they're not very diverse i mean if you look up the stats it's it's bad of like how many blacks are in you even go to brookfield not a lot. And then you start getting out more west than that, and then it's nothing. <laughs> right? And yeah. then then another thing, Tony, what that I wanted to bring up, because this happened to our children during COVID. A lot of the inner city schools didn't have basketball, but their counterparts was playing basketball. So some of these kids got lost in the sauce during COVID that they didn't get their junior and senior year to go on to college. And I, I don't think that it was a large outcry to see what even happened to some of these children who play basketball their whole life, mm-hmm. and then they get to where COVID ha- is affecting their uh, opportunities. You know, that's a money thing, though. Right. But but what I'm saying is, when when I looked at that, I mean, I, I see that you're right. I think it's a, it's a foundational idea yeah. as well because I think that schools outside in the suburbs they have more contribution from the alumni. Yeah, well, from everybody. The, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. It's more of a community idea yeah, when like, it comes to like school. Our, our kids are going to play, and we're, we're going to do whatever right. we have to do to keep keep them playing, and they and they make it happen. Right. So, so I think that that affected us as far as like two generations of uh, black basketball sports was lost. Yeah, and uh, but uh, like you say though, so I'm 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 a I'm the one or two black kids on an all white team, and you know you go to some gyms. Some crowds, and 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 people act ignorant, right? Right. They got they got to yell comments and make comments, and again, they I think they what's lost on them is he really talking to kids, which is messed know, up. Which is really <laughs> messed up, right? To, yeah. to make it simple and plain, it's messed up. You're an adult and you're talking to kids, crazy. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make sense. I mean, I I was coaching AAU, and again, I'm coaching uh, my son. I'm helping my 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 buddy coach his son's team out in Brookfield. So mostly white kids. We might have one black kid on the team, but it's predominantly white white kids. I'm I'm the only, I'm the black coach, and we're playing this team in Florida. They got mad. We beat them, and we're walking outside. And I mean, literally, this grown lady comes up to us, and she's like talking crazy, like, "Oh, y'all paid the refs. The oh, refs, wow. the refs were white, right? Y'all paid the refs." Uh, she's like, uh, "What are you doing with these?" Mm words. She said mm words. What you put in a soup. That's what she called them. What you doing with these? Uh, you must be married to one of them. <laughs> wow. I'm like, lady, we, we out here playing ball. <laughs> Get away from me. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Just to, So, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. Just the 
uh, just how divisive it is and just just the struggles and it's not it struggles both ways whether i'm on on this side uh doing whatever or i'm on the other side i'm doing yeah you know people coming at you right it, it's amazing how race intersects with sports and everything because you don't think that it still does but it, it does. It, it really. Oh, it's very it, much it, alive. Yes, and well. it's very much alive and well. And unfortunately, it does sprinkle down to our youth at uh, youth sports and high school sports, and and it's a shame to go ahead and and have to deal with that. But we're having a very interesting discussion. We are just getting started. This is Black History Always. Is triple T's on the ones and twos. Tory, Tony. And Telly, and when we return, we'll have a special guest. We'll be joined by Milwaukee Bucks Senior Vice President of Partner Strategy and Management. That is Miss Karita Jones. You are listening to Black History Always. We'll be back after this. Roundtable discussion exploring the intersections of sports and race. And I had to have that intro for the queen, uh, Miss Karita Jones, the Milwaukee Bucks Senior Vice President of Partner Strategy and Management. And I am pleased to be joined by Karita. Hey, Karita, how are you doing this evening? I love listening to Queen Latifah. You could have kept playing that, so I thank you for that. <laughs> so that was a good choice, right? <laughs> oh, that was a great choice. Between Queen Latifah and Beyonce, you'd, you'd have been all right. Oh, all right. man, I must know Thanks. you very, very well. <laughs> it's so great to talk to you. We are just talking about this on this Black History Always special presentation, just about our journeys and and um, in careers, especially some of the challenges and hardships that you face as an African-American, especially for you, Karita. I'm very proud of what you've been able to do to climb the ranks to what you have been able to do in a male-dominated business in the NBA. And um, just talk a little bit about your journey as a black woman and climbing the ranks in an all-male-dominated field. Sure, yeah, and you know, and it's been difficult, but you know, I think I've had to persevere. That's like the, that's, that's the word of the half, the half hour, right? Perseverance. So after playing ball at Marquette, um, I kind of hung around Marquette for a little bit longer and did some sports marketing for women's athletics. As you and Tony know, I started doing TV and radio for Marquette women's basketball. And after about a year, uh, got an opportunity to, to do ticket sales with the Bucks. So I kind of moved over into that area. And one thing that, that women uh, back then don't didn't see was a lot of other women in the front office, a lot of other women of color. So for me, that was probably one of my first challenges. You know, I, I didn't see a lot of folks that looked like me in the front office on any of the NBA teams, really. Um, you know, there was African-American men obviously playing on the court, but in the front office and having these great leadership opportunities, I just didn't see that a lot. So for me, that was probably one of my biggest challenges. And you know, fast forward now to where I am, I almost feel that it's my duty. It's it's why I've gotten to this level that's great, but I'm always reaching behind for that next young woman, that next young woman of color, 
um, to make sure they have someone just to talk to. I literally just got off the phone an hour ago with a young lady from another NBA team who's just reaching out to network because she's dealing with some challenges in her NBA market. And I just kind of, again, told her my journey, persevered. Um, you, you really kind of have to look out for yourself in this industry, and that's kind of what I did to get to where I am now. Um, I'd say also for me, I, I had a lot of help along the way, especially more recently, you know, our new leadership team, which you guys know have really been great about supporting me, supporting me with a great team and the resources that we need to succeed. But I think, you know, overall, it was a challenge. I think we all kind of deal with challenges at different levels. But for me, it was just continuing to persevere. I was blessed to have a strong family background. My mother, father, my sister, my brothers uh, were always kind of there to support me. So if you don't have the support that you would need necessarily in your career or your journey, it's so key and so important to have um, your own crew, be it friends, be it girlfriends that I had, um, my siblings, um, that, that was really what helped me continue to persevere and, and get to where I am at this point. Shout out to your dad to love Jim Jones, man. The great <laughs> Jim Jones. Love her dad, yeah. man. Oh, I, I, I was Karita. I was going to ask you about, uh, your dad and, you know, obviously him growing up in the sixties, yep. right? Uh, yeah. did he give you any stories, uh, you know, that, that will help you maybe deal with some stuff that you probably m- might be facing that he had to face? Uh, yeah, I think he didn't, that's not, not necessarily stories. Just, um, one thing he always told all of us that you're chosen and you can do anything. So more than anything, mm-hmm. instead of always going back to a lot of the stories and things that he and maybe my mom dealt with in the 50s and 60s, they were always encouraging us, Tony. I mean, everything we did, I played cello for seven years. My, a couple of my brothers played other instruments. You can do anything. You're a chone. And so you say that, and it sounds kind of funny, but in the back of our minds, we're all in our 40s now. I've been like, man, you remember when Dad used to tell us that? He had it a lot harder coming <laughs> right. up, but he always talked about us persevere. You're a chone. Mm-hmm. You can do anything. My kids are chones of Guam, you know, but, you know, I tell them the same thing. You can do anything you put your mind to. Dad always talked a lot about the three Ds, and I've talked about this when I've gone on panels or whatever, uh, desire, determination, and dedication. Those are the three things that he and my mom continue to instill in us because they knew, you know, after college, a lot of the industries that my siblings and I went into, there weren't a lot of people that looked like us. But you had to really abide by what was instilled in us early on, and that was really that really came from mom and dad, for that matter. Yeah. Yeah, we're uh, joined by Karita Jones, the senior vice president of partner strategy and management for the Milwaukee Bucks, and Karita doing great things with the Milwaukee Bucks organization. And just talk a little bit about the voice and the platform and the way the Bucks have used their voice to help galvanize the Milwaukee community. Yeah, I think it's important not only with what the Bucks have done, but what I think sports in general is doing more now than ever, and that's utilizing our voice for so much more than just, as some people say, dribbling on the court, right? I think we also have a duty in the, the jobs that we have and, and the, um, the abilities and the, the accolades that we get to use that voice to amplify for good. And I think that's exactly, and that's why I love so much uh, working for a team that is not, we're not going to stand in the corner. We're going to speak up for what we believe in. Um, and we just really want to make sure we're there for the Milwaukee community. And I think that's something we continue to show. We strive to show. And people that are affiliated with us, be it clients that I work with or whoever, they all kind of understand our commitment that we have to the Milwaukee community, but 
also the, the greater community um, in, in our country and, and throughout the NBA. So I think that's really important. I think that's something that's instilled in all of us from our leadership team down, something that I work on very hard with my team. You know, when we're out in the market with different clients, everyone kind of has an understanding that the voice, the voice that we have, we want to continue to utilize and utilize it for good in the community. Hey, Karita, this is uh, Tori Lowe um, from Hi, the Tori Lowe Show uh, from Wonderful. But I wanted to ask you a question. Like, during 2020, the Bucks took steps to bring awareness to social justice, and they were one of the first teams to step out there and say, hey, we're not going to play. And that sent waves across the NBA and across the globe, and it started mm-hmm. right here in Milwaukee. How was that time for you during that time? What What were you seeing during that time? Yeah, for me individually, I I thought it was great. You know, I I'll never forget that day that um, a few of my counterparts and I were virtually on the phone watching the game together, and the team didn't come out. And once we understood um, that the team was deciding not to play that night, and all of that was going wrong with that, I just I had a, a sense of pride, and I think the, our our organization felt the same way. I mean that that's like the, that's one of the biggest statements you can make you know and and what was so wonderful to see is that our entire leadership team and everyone stood behind the decision that our players made and i think that uh, the city stood behind you know i think i think it was just a great thing to see and i think that really showed how not only the bucks but but uh, the power of sports the power of celebrity you know can really help make a statement um, that reverberates throughout the world and and that's exactly what i think the team did yeah, honestly, I was a Bucks fan, but then after they took that stand, I think that it just reconfigured what I really uh, look at it when I see the Bucks now. I mean, I I feel like they're mm-hmm. very concerned. They're they're tapped in with what is going on right now in, the, in today's times, and they made a major contribution for change. And I appreciate the All organization right. for that. Well, I thank you, and I think it's important that we continue to support. We're a part of this community. We all are, right? So it's not just here, plop in the middle of Milwaukee, we're playing basketball. We're here to be an integrated part of the community, and I love to walk that walk every day with this organization. And finally, Karita, before we let you go, we really appreciate you taking the time this evening to join us on this special Black History Always show that we're having on multiple platforms throughout the state of Wisconsin and we're just talking about how race and sports intersect and you have already told us how important it is for you to lift as you climb and now that you have risen to where you are tell us about how the transformation has been to now being someone that people look up to and being somewhat of a trailblazer for what you have been doing. Oh, that feels so old, the word trailblazer. But no, I think <laughs> right. <it's great. laughs> I feel the same way when people say that stuff to me. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's actually an honor, Tell you. I think it's important, and it's something that I carry with me and I take very seriously. Um, from every time I'm speaking on a panel, talking to young women, young men um, in the professional world, it, I, I take it on as like another job, right? You know, I think it's so important for me to take the opportunity to speak. I, I'll, I'll have a networking 15, 20-minute session with absolutely anyone to tell them my journey because I think it's my duty and it's something that I want to do all that I can to help drop little nuggets on whoever that'll kind of help other people propel and be that much better to help grow our community, right? So it's not only what the Bucks are doing in our community is important, but as a leader within the community, it's also my duty to do that. And I, I love every minute of it. Um, 
I have every time I do a speech or a panel, I feel like I have 10 to 20 people on LinkedIn just wanting to connect and kind of hear my story. I want to hear their story. And if there's ever opportunity that I can help make a difference in someone's life, that's what I'm going to do. Creed, I, I, know, I know you can't tell them there are chones and they can do anything, but is that sort of the <laughs> that's that's still sort of the message, right? You're sending like to a lot of kids. Uh, right. uh, we were talking here before, like as a little kid, you don't really have a a lot of uh, knowledge of like what's out there and what you're able to do. And mm-hmm. uh, they have to see people like you, uh, people like myself, like, like Tori and Telly actually doing things mm-hmm. to say, Oh, okay. I, oh, I can do that. Or I can do this and that. So uh, what part what, what is your like message? Like you said, I can't tell me the chones, but you still give them that yeah. same message, right? Well, I think it's, you know, anyone that any, anything you do put your mind to, you can do it. It's all about, um, asking the questions, getting out, connecting with people. Um, when you're talking about the youth, they're not not necessarily quote unquote networking, but asking questions, asking your teachers and principals for these opportunities. I also think it's our duty, me, you, Tori Kelly, to get out in the community and have these conversations at at different schools. It's it's amazing to see when we go to different schools throughout the city of Milwaukee, not just the basketball players, but there's so many different opportunities within the sports business or on radio or broadcast that that folks just don't know about. So I think we as as a community need to do a better job of really educating our youth on opportunities that are out there that are amazing, great, great careers and opportunities. And um, we just don't do that as much as I think we should, us included, right? Like, I love to get out as much as I can to have those conversations and really engage with our youth to let them know, hey, you can do this. You can absolutely do this. And now you have someone who's helping you, who wants to pull you up, who wants to bring you to the table as well. Hey, Creator, this is Tori Lowe. Where do you see the future of sports and how it's affecting black history? Where do I, see this? Uh, I, I hope it just continues to utilize the platforms as, as an amplifying megaphone, right? And I think we're seeing that more than we have in the past, that through the NBA, which is, a, I think, a very progressive league, Adam Silver does a great job of really trying to push the message about black history, about um, a lot of other social issues that play a role in, in not just our players' lives, our fans' lives, but worldwide. So I really hope that sports, which is such a unifying entity, can continue to um, amplify the good that it's currently doing. Karita, we got to go. Uh, I just want to say, go. Right. how about them Golden Eagles? Ah. Right? Right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, you know, I got to throw that in. Come on. Right? I gotta, yeah, I gotta, Come on now. I get you, Tony. We'll let you, Marquette folk, have your moment now. Things are rolling over there in Golden Eagles land. But, Karita, we really right? appreciate you joining us and all your insight and keep doing what you do. We love you and continue much success. Thank you, guys. The feeling's mutual. Anytime. Take care. All right. Do I have exit music? Is my exit music coming uh, as well? Give, uh, oh, Alex, yeah. oh, Alex, can Karina, we give her a little I got to holler at you too, Karina. <laughs> I got, a, I got a project going on, Karina. I got to ch- holler at you too about. Hey, man, okay. don't, do your own soliciting, you know. <laughs> on your own time, all right. There you go, Karina. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Take care. Take all care, right. Bye-bye. Thank you. That was Karita Chose, Senior Vice President of Partner Strategy and See, Management. Toy, trying to hold the brother down over here. No, Come on, I'm not trying to, to hold you. The man is all about uplift, <laughs> especially on Black History Always. We'll have more after the break. And they stay there, and they say yeah, and they stay there, 
feel like we winning tonight. Welcome back to Black History Always. We are. It's triple T's on the ones and twos. I'm Telly Hughes along with Tori Lowe and Tony Smith. We've been having a roundtable discussion talking about how race and sports intersect in every way. And we're going to talk about how contributions by African-Americans been made even in Hollywood and how it's all been attributed to different things that African-Americans have been able to do to help in society. But it's not just all about that. We're just trying to give a different perspective on what's going on and how things may be viewed and how the African-American experience is unique. But we just spoke with Karita Jones, Senior Vice President of Partner Strategy and Management for the Milwaukee Bucks. And Tori Lowe was asking Karita and telling her how he commended the Bucks for really using their platform and how the black community look at athletes and professional athletes right. in times of everything. So, right. I mean, just just I, talk about I, the, I, the I athlete's responsibility. I was t- trying to tell people, black people look at our icons, our sports icons, our uh, celebrities. Uh, we look at them for entertainment, but we also look at them as a way to help us get the message out if something is going on. In our communities, we expect them to say something on our behalf. And some yeah. athletes have taken that mantle and some athletes have avoided that mantle. Yeah, it's almost like looking up to a, like, you know, somebody's picking on you. You look up to your big brother like you don't uh, take up for me. Right. You don't stick yeah. up for me. Yeah. Right. So they look at the athlete like you got the platform. People are going to listen to you. Uh, and, and in some senses, that's true. Becoming uh, certainly more prevalent now with uh, the power of social media, the, mm-hmm. just the number of people you can reach. Uh, if you have something to say, and you know, as you said, some some people want to want to take on that responsibility. Right. Some people don't, and you know, I, I was I was I was always in the camp of like, first of all, I'm not I'm not gonna have an athlete as my role model. Right. Just not gonna do it personally because I don't know you. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you in an athletic sense, but that's it. So you being my role model is kind of hard well, for me. But I know what you're saying as as far as them having a stance right and, and saying something uh but but it, but again even that you gotta you gotta understand it's it's kind of dicey for people look at colin kaepernick right? right what happened to him he did it and look what happened to him so now all right guys are Mohammed, little, Mohammed guys Ali are a little reluctant it. yes Muhammad ali a lot of guys stepped up kareem stood up. even took some stances yeah and they and they and they got ooh, they got kind of blackballed right. or whatever so it's not always as easy as we think, and I think that the possibility of the Kaepernick stuff happening again ain't probably ain't going to happen just because of the, now how society's seeing that kind of stuff. Well, but, I'll say this. Every so many decades, this happens. You know, it, it's not something that's going to happen back to back. But right. I think that depending on the time and the urgency, somebody usually steps forward and say, hey, I'm going to take this mission on. And people take on different missions at different times. So, right. yep. so I think that when we talk about when I say I don't think we uh, a lot of people do look up to these athletes, but I think that when it's time for the black community to have a voice, I think we just want you to bring awareness to some things. Bring awareness, yes, yeah. that's fine. Yep, uh, but you know, expecting you know athletes to have all this knowledge on a on a topic or a subject. No, those are people like you, Tori Lowe. Right. You have the inside track on that stuff. 
Yeah. 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 Good conversation going on. We have a very, very special guest on the other side of the break. You're listening to Black History Always. And when we return, we'll be joined by actor, comedian Guy Tory. Make sure you stick with us. Mother, mother, there's too many of you to cry. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. Welcome back to Black History Always. I'm Telly Hughes, joined in studio with Tori Lowe and Tony Smith. We're having a roundtable discussion and talking about how sports and race interact along with pop culture. And I am pleased to be joined by actor, comedian. You've seen him in movies like American History X and Life. And he's also the creator of Fat Tuesdays. He's none other than my guy. That's right, Guy Tory. What's up, Guy? What's up, man? Guy Tory in a place to be got kicked out of major university. What's going on, man? <laughs> What's well, good, Dropping man? Bars. Okay. Yeah, we just that liner, go ahead. That liner is, is that liner that that promo is, is is really aggressive. Black history. <laughs> <laughs> I felt the spit. Did you feel that? On the radio when it was on from the B. Oh, okay. This is Helvetica bold letters that he said that in. I can see the Helvetica and the extra bold. Okay, go ahead. What's happening? What's going on, guy? We were talking about uh, how race interact intersects with sports and 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 pop culture, and you've been a guy that has been in L.A. and Hollywood on the scene since the early 90s, and you have seen the transformation, and everybody, if you haven't yet, you got to check out Guy Tory's documentary called Fat Tuesdays. It's on Amazon, and you can talk about, I mean, and it's the history, and it's called Hip Hop Comedy of the 90s, and talk about the history and how some of these iconic comedians were first discovered and just tell us a little bit about it almost give us like a trailer and and some of the challenges that you faced when you got to hollywood and how you were able to navigate through those challenges well first of all thanks for having me on on the show especially doing such a great 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 celebration uh i want to go back to your first question with how does you know sports interact with 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 you know race and 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 things it's very important, man, uh, that, that I love sports for this reason and this reason uh, mainly is because it, no matter what team you're rooting for, you're all on the same page. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are, what religion you are, what gender you are, what your social class is, what your political affiliation is. When you're rooting for the same team, all that other stuff is out of the window majority of the times like what the the reason why I love the Olympics and the World Cup so much because that's the only time the United States of America is truly the United States of America because we're all rooting for our Olympic teams our Olympians we're all rooting for our soccer teams male or female and uh, women and men in the World Cup so sports is so important man because it does bring a lot of cultures and a lot of different categories of people or classes of people together and, and rooting for one goal, and that, is, and that is to win. So sports was so important. That's why years ago when they started taking them out of the inner city schools and things like that, that was detrimental because that development 
and that love to bring fans and different ethnicities together on one accord was, was missed. So that's why, to me, sports are very, very, very important. Uh, as far as entertainment and in stand-up, man, I mean, Fat Tuesdays was an assignment given to me from above, and I'm glad he chose me to do it. And I mean above, I mean God, for those who, who think it's, you know, uh, some man sitting in the office saying, oh, yeah, do that. <laughs> but Fat Tuesdays, man, was, was, was a void that I saw in the, in the Hollywood industry, in the comedy game, in black comedy, and I created this night. Uh, at the world famous comedy store with legends that grace that stage. And I wanted a, a place where we could showcase and be seen because after the Rodney King riots in 92, uh, Hollywood industry quit coming to the hood uh, to see black comedians. So I said, okay, I'm going to bring the hood to Hollywood. And live on the Sunset Strip, uh, 1995, I brought this comedy show that was inspired by Def Comedy Jam on HBO. And I showcased young African-American brothers and sisters and the Hollywood elite started coming out and seeing this great talent and started booking uh, talent for that. But it brought, it brought us together. It helped heal LA because at the time the city was divided, you know, with the Michael Jackson trial, with, um, with, 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 with the OJ situation, with the mm -hmm. Rodney King situation. And what it did was, man, it made us laugh. It, it was a part of a healing process. Once they saw that we black comedians were, we're, we're joking about Rodney King and <laughs> two. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Negroes aren't that upset. <laughs> we, were. we were. But you had to find but, some humor but, in it, right? <laughs> exactly. That, that, and that's what it is. We, 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 go, we, we find humor in anything when we have to laugh to keep from crying. So no matter what dark situation we're put in, comedians, our job is to find the funny and, 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 and start to heal it. And how tough and difficult does that get, depending on the subject matter, what you can joke about, what you can't like, take us through that process. And especially in, in, in terms of race, I know as a comedian, you do have a license to kind of get up and say whatever in terms of race. But it, when it comes to certain really touchy subjects, how, what, is, uh, what is your approach? Yeah. Case in point is, is Dave Chappelle, right? He says anything. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I, and I it's was going to, Oh, hold on. Sorry. I got Tori. This is Tori Lowe in cancel culture. Because now y'all living in cancel culture. Y'all comedians, you got who, who, people. Who, who live? Who, who live? I talk about the, the the America, the, the what what's going who, who, on in America. Who, who y'all y'all live? I ain't living in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, well, you know what I'm saying is back in the I'm, day, I'm, hey, comedians could hey. almost get away with any kind of joke. Now they may uh, be challenged and, and or something. Something has that changed? To answer the question, first of all, it's, it's who the individual is, meaning the comedian. Okay. You know, if, if, if you, I don't have a too soon, but. <laughs> you know, I, I, hey, hey, I, I don't have a too soon button. I said, like, I'll shoot first and then ask questions later. Sorry to use that type of analogy in this climate of, of gun control and everything. But I don't have a, I, I, I go with how I feel, man. And, and I don't live in a cancer culture because I'm 54 years old. I'd be damned if you tell me what I can joke about and laugh about. I'm the god of my set, my comedy set. Mm. I created that comedy set. So I say, what's too soon and what's not too soon. I'm not going to let anybody else dictate to me what's too soon. If I find humor in it, God, man, I got jokes about my mama being fat. You think anybody else, anybody else face? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, I got Jesus jokes. You think anybody can say favor than Jesus? Right. Ash Wednesday? Come on now. So no, I don't, I don't, so other comedians can live in, can live in fear of that. 
I'm not living in fear of that. I always say only two people can cancel me, God and myself, period. Mm, hey. So if my fan base is strong enough to where they, if they ride with me, they ride with me. God, Tori, I appreciate you for coming on the show. I got a question now. As a visionary, and, and when you started uh, Fat Tuesdays, when you initiated, when you saw the hole to fill the gap, did you ever think that it would turn out to be the way it turned out as something that is historic and a part Absolutely of black com comedy history? Absolutely not. I did it because, you know, it's funny. I was doing an interview last year when we was doing the press run for the, for the documentary, and someone asked me, who told you to create Fat Tuesday? And I got offended. And I was like, nobody told me to create Fat Tuesdays. I saw a void, and, and I filled it. And then I got emotional because what hit me at the time, and my dad, rest in peace, I remember my dad always, you know, drilling us, all the little sayings that your dad says to you growing up. You, you know, you think they ain't hitting, but they hitting, and they sticking. So I remember my dad always saying, be proactive. Don't wait to be asked to do something. If you see something needs done, go ahead and do it. You know, if you, if you see a hanger on the floor, even if you didn't put it there, you know it don't belong there, pick it up and put it where it belongs. So be proactive. Do, if you mm. see something, avoid, fill it. Those small and, seeds. And, and hearing that, those small seeds my dad planted, you know, back when I was a kid, I saw a void in Hollywood. I saw a brothers and sisters not getting uh, seen, not being showcased. I already had an agent and a manager already, so I was good. But I'm like, man, this, this TV and money, this TV and, and film money is good. And it's enough for all of us. So that's when I went to the comedy store, the world famous comedy store, and said, hey, can I do a night to showcase these black comedians? And the rest, I, and I haven't looked back. So no, it wasn't something that I thought would be would turn into this, this thing. I just wanted to help. Well, Guy, we really appreciate you taking the time. You know I, I, I really appreciate it, man. Joining us on this Black History Always. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for all the insight, and we'll have more on Black History Always after this. What's up, family? This is your brother, Speech from Arrested Development. I just wanted to talk about Black History Month in a personal way this time. I wanted to talk about me and Tony Smith, who grew up together in grade school, or since grade school. And in essence, I remember him being bused in to the school, 95th Street School, um, in basically, you know, West Milwaukee. And it was in order to try to integrate black kids into the school system. And a lot of our school schools were underfunded and were not equal. And so the idea was to strive to get kids into schools that had better education systems. And so there was this busing system that was busing inner city kids out to the suburbs. This is the black experience. I remember meeting Tony, he was an incredible athlete even then, and the fastest guy in school, the most talented guy in school with sports in particular, and me and him became best friends. I was anything but, but I, of course, I had music as my thing. Um, I'll never forget his family, incredibly hardworking family, um, doing their best to raise children, to have an incredible household, and to raise kids that would do incredible things. This is the black experience that I remember. For my family, same difference. 
Uh, my mother owning the largest black newspaper in Wisconsin, the Milwaukee Community Journal, uh, an entrepreneur. My dad owning the nightclub called the Fox Trap, among other things, an entrepreneur as well. All of these things were my experience. And then of course myself, striving to find a way to make it from Milwaukee as a hip hop artist, which at the time was almost an impossible feat, right? So I just look at all the struggles of what it means to be a black person in America and in particular Milwaukee. Racism has had its deep effects, but what I'm really proud of is a lot of black people making the most of the opportunity and still ex excelling and exceeding to huge heights. My brother, Tony Smith, obviously a pro basketball player, among other things, and myself, a pro musician. I'm proud. A pro is right. My guy's speech, Todd, a.k.a. Todd Thomas. I knew him as Todd, my little my little buddy. That was my guy, man. We uh, uh, He was like, you know, we were talking about experiences, you know, growing up in the inner city where I grew up and going out to Tosa. That's really where, you know, when Karita was touched on it, too, like, Kids got to see stuff, right? You got to be able to see stuff that's outside of your little bubble. And going out to Tosa, uh, initially, like you said, I, I, went, I met Todd in 95th Street School. You know, we're in, like, grade school, right? And, you know. And, but you got to be more specific, Tony. Todd is speech from, Todd arrested, is speech from arrested Development. development. The, the, the yes. band, right? You know. Yes. Um, you know we know you people. know him. That's your boy. But you <laughs> right. got to let people know, right. like. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, when I met him, you know, we were really, really little and, and young. And but like he said, his 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 mom owned the community journal, the paper, his dad owned. He, he named the nightclub Fox Trot, but he also was uh, owned all the corn roast down at Summerfest. Robbie Corn Roast. We would work there in the summer. You know, we can't really work, but he's he's putting us to work and we're getting some money uh, just throwing us a bone. We Under work at the table. Yeah, we work at the we work at the nightclub. I still don't you remember know how we do. Wait, I still don't. I still don't remember how we worked at the nightclub. But that, I, but I remember listen, you told me that I, yes, story. I remember I remember being at the Foxtrot and we worked in the, the video game room. They had an arcade and we would just clean up all the tokens. That was our job. But I don't know why I was at the club. And when the club closed, cleaning up tokens. <laughs> it's two in the morning. What was I doing? You've always been an after-party hey, guy. But we huh? was making that money. That was our job, <laughs> to clean up the arcade room. So we was in there making money. Then we go home. But, uh, you know, needless to say, they had a lot of money, especially in my eyes, right? Maybe, yeah. I, you know, I'm alive today. And I'm like, oh, okay, they, they, they weren't as rich as I thought they were. But in, when I was young, that looked like, ooh, they got a lot of money. I yeah. mean, so – uh, that's what you see when I when I went out to Tulsa to school. I was amazed at this one uh, family. My, my one of my buddies' house. And they had a CD player. They only had two CDs, but they had a CD player. Right? I ain't even ever seen a CD player. That was back in the day. I don't even know what this. And the, the the one they had they had the Michael Jackson. They had the Thriller album. I'm like, I ain't even ever seen this. What is this? Wow. <laughs> a compact disc? What? And y'all got two of them? Ooh. <laughs> Now, Tony, when you look back and, like you said, you met Todd, a.k.a. Speech, from Arrested Development at a very young age, and you all went off to have the careers that you had, yep. like, to a lot of people, you the homeboy that made it to the NBA. Right. And a lot of people look at you in that way. But for you, you get the chance to look at your boy that's, oh, yes. my God, he is a freaking worldwide I musician. A, I think he won a Grammy. Yeah. So like, I was, uh, yeah. <clears throat> funny enough, we met up. He was, I was, I was uh, with, playing with the Lakers. My rookie year was in the 90s, early, early 90 or 91. 
And I remember uh, they were just getting out on tour. Now, listen, he's been in music forever. Like he said, when we grew up, music was his thing. All we did, and if anybody knows me, they know how into music I am, right? It's because of that relationship with him. He had the turntables back then. We were back there cutting and scratching up records. He was trying to rap? Uh, not trying to. I was rapping. I still rap to this <laughs> hold day. On. Okay, hold on. No, it's hold still, on. A, it's still on. a try. Hold don't on, yeah. No, no. Hold on, Tony. My rap skills you are, ain't certified. Uh, he, oh, wait a minute. He I, I got to ask you a question. Like, I want to ask you a question. <laughs> Since you didn't say that, what was your rap name? Oh, I did not have a rap name. Oh, no. Well, you wasn't. Hey, well, didn't you have a rap name. No, no, I didn't have a rap name. Yeah, if you weren't taking this in. You're just messing around. Like, how many rappers do you know just named Tony? Right. The good ones. <laughs> ice Ice Tony ones. or something. Hey, like you could Kanye. Have been so- <laughs> hey, Kanye got one name. Tony. That's it. <laughs> Not gonna but, work. Uh, yeah, so he was in the music and he was he was grinding. Uh, imagine how long ago that was. Obviously, you know, uh we're we're the same age, so he's grinding since, you know, seventeen, eighteen. And then finally in the nineties, they're they're coming out to LA on going on tour. So and it, I, I connected with him in L.A. I, I met the, him and his band out at the hotel. They was getting ready to go to the concert. I was, you know, playing ball. We were on the road or whatever. And and we just kind of all of a sudden intersected. I hadn't seen him in years. I hadn't seen him in years. And he Did y'all like, ever think that y'all were going to take it this far? Uh, you never know, right? I mean, I'm talking about when y'all were kids and – you know, growing coming up as young. Yeah, did you no, ever say no, I'm going to yeah. be in the NBA? No, did he ever no. say I'm going to win a I, Grammy? I don't think None so. To, to be honest, when I was when I was younger, I started late playing basketball. I was really more into football, but I didn't I didn't really play football, right? So I was, but I was into it. That was what I was watching. I, now I know he probably was grinding, and thinking I'm I'm going to be a musician, right? Because that's really he was on that right from for a long long time. I was just playing sports, and then I got good and. Then it happened, right? It just kind of happened. I wasn't really like grinding toward it. Again, different climate than today where kids young are looking at it. And now you can see it because it's on social media. It's everywhere. You can see the path, right? Back then, I didn't really see the path. But I know Speech saw the path, and and he was grinding hard towards working. Like a lot of musicians do. They do a lot of stuff before they actually come out and you hear about them. Yeah. Yeah, they have to. They got to play those small clubs, those small venues or – the AKA the Chitlin circuit before right. they are able to yeah. make it to right. the large worldwide and, and, and nationwide tours. Well, and, that's why we got hometown music uh, Thursdays tomorrow. Uh, yep. I'm going to throw out that. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah. I'm going to pitch that. You can also on pitch the Tory that. The Tory Low show is from one to four. On 101.7 truth. <laughs> oh, wait. But, uh, he can pitch something, but I can't. Well, <laughs> hold on. Well, wait. No, no, what I'm saying like, is I, I know else. that when we talk about <laughs> music in Milwaukee, we don't see a lot of uh, big stage ideas for local talent, even to this day. Right. Yeah. And, and it's good. Like, you know, like Guy Tory was talking about, you, you see a you see a hole or you see a need out there. Uh, whatever that need is, people need to get exposure right. or uh, people need access to things. Uh, you know, go ahead and create that. Go ahead and create that. Uh, whatever it is, create that vision. Uh, get those people those opportunities. Get eyes on these people. Get them uh, access to whatever they need to get access to. Where you see a hole, and, uh, and you, you know, never know what's going to happen. Right, and it's up to it's it's up to everybody. Not only I know people say, yeah. You have to have the black community behind you as well. You have to get in, get behind it. Like you said, like you can't just leave somebody out there. Like, oh yeah, I'm gonna step out there. Right. I'm trying to create create something for for us, for our community. And then I look behind me, nobody's behind me. Well, no, no, you got to be behind you. But you also need other people behind you, right? right? You just can't you can't do it. So 
Um, Got to create the environment. Correct. For the success. Yep. For yeah. the success. And Tony, it's amazing that you, it's a great transition. Speaking of seeing a need and trying to fill that void, our next guest who will be joining us on Black History Always After the Break is Dr. Ramel Smith, a sports psychologist. He's also a school and clinical psychologist. And he saw a need and the importance of mental health and amongst the athletes and just amongst African American males as well and we'll dive into that on black history always some help let's get tell after the break Welcome back to Black History Always. I'm Telly Hughes. I'm joined in the studio by Tori Lowe and Tony Smith. You can catch the Tory Lowe Show on from 1 to 4 on The Truth, 101.7. And you can hear Tony Smith every day on the Homer and Tony Show on ESPN, 90, ESPN Milwaukee, 94.5. From 2 to 4, right, Tone? That is correct. Two to four. So far, we've had a very interesting conversation, some great guests, and we're going to keep that rolling because we have a very special guest in the studio with us, and we're going to touch on something that has become very, very prevalent in recent years, something that when we were coming up, we really didn't talk a lot about in terms of mental health, especially as black young men becoming men but enough of that i'll let you gotta him be talk strong more Tally, about you, know, it. you know how it went you gotta be strong can't be weak pleased to be joined by school sport clinical psychologist dr ramel smith if it's okay i know that's his government name yeah that's the government name yeah, yeah but go ahead and give us the spiel give us the spiel yeah, yeah, doc. No, i mean we go by kwaku achafi amawasi now and the reason why that is is because when i got a chance to put my feet back on the motherland i got a chance to understand a lot of the things that was taken from us that we didn't even know and uh being adopted by my village in cape coast uh, and they gave me a name and it was the first time I had a name that I could take pride in. Even my last name being Smith, I took pride in my father, my grandfather, great-grandfather. But when I look back to the origins, I knew where it came from. So it's hard to love a name where you understand, you know, the, the, the origins of it. Mm-hmm. Long story short, I finally had a name where I understood what it meant. Quite right. cool, meaning he was born on Wednesday. But All it's right. also... A provocateur. He's one who pushed the envelopes. When somebody named Kwaku comes in, they already know, oh, man, here it comes. They know you're not going to be able to play. They understand you're going to tell the truth unapologetically. Atrophy means he who hates dirt, dirt meaning injustice and is a connector of people. And on my eyes, means that's the surname, he who lifts up the fallen and plants solidly. And so when I say that now, I say what a different level of pride, a different level of understanding, and it just corrects me a little bit more. And the honest truth is, is when I'm in a room full of, uh, I don't want to say colonizers in a negative standpoint like that, but when I'm in America, I love for a little Swahili to come off of people's mouth when they talk to me, just to let them recognize <laughs> who I am and who I am about. Yeah, recognize my ancestors. So no, that that's that's the reason for it. Now, brother Kwaku, you yes, have been able to discover that at a at a as an adult. But 
you have also been able to work with UW Madison. You've also done work with the Milwaukee Bucks. And when you are dealing with athletes from a collegiate level, even at a professional level, how much do their upbringing and maybe childhood traumas and things that they had to deal with as a youth play out as an adult and affects how they perform and so on and so forth? Yeah, that's a loaded question because it's so hard because whenever you deal with a person, you're dealing with them individually. Kind of planned before when y'all was talking, though, Brother Tony hit it right on the head. It was like toughen up. And what we live is in what we call a culture of risk. They'd be like, you understand what it is. When I work with the NFL and I go in, they say, listen, we know you mental health, but don't talk about CTE. Everybody know what it is. Mm -hmm. We understand the risk. We don't need to be talking about it, have it on the head when they go out. It's an assumed risk, almost like a military veteran who signs up. I know I can get killed mm -hmm. out there. The policeman, the fireman, I'm walking in the danger to say, I'm what doing this to provide something different for my family. So you talk about a culture of risk. Well, why is it more prevalent for certain people? Because if you grow up in a culture of risk, it's like, hey, I could get killed out on these streets any day. At least now I'm doing something that what can be provided for my family, something that gives me self-esteem, self-concept in myself. And so we talk about our tough bring upbringing. When you used to look at the boxers back in the 60s and 70s, they said, man, you know why they're so tough. You know, we talk about our favorite boxer from the 80s and 90s, Mike Tyson. Right. We understood, you know, the difficulty and the pain that he went out and when he got out, he was able to what to displace that anger in a positive yes, way because unleashed. if he had boxing yes. – we know where he would have been. Yeah. But now he had a positive place to do it. He was, he was what caught in this place of a nurturing of love. And this is what I tell people because sometimes when I, I talk, they'd be like, man, he talked pretty strong. Do you hate white people? I said, man, I, I hate nobody, <laughs> man. <laughs> you know, and sometimes when you take pride in yourself, they, it's almost like it's offensive it, to it's other offensive people to like, others, like you're yeah. doing. And I, and I look at Mike Tyson and Custom Model. Race is it's not a biological construct, it's a social construct. It's real because we say it's real and socially. But when Cuss came with Mike, he showed him some love, some authentic mm -hmm. love. Yep. It was a win-win situation. Yep. Now, it was conditional, but it also grew to be something pure. And what he did is he said, hey, young man, I know you got some hurt. I know you got some pain, but let me show you how to steer it in a different thing. Now, we talk about Mike because he's so good, but let's, let's look at a man like James Beckham in the Milwaukee area. Everybody didn't go to the major leagues, but so many people came out of that Beckham Stapleton League that do great things in Milwaukee or left to do other things. Why? Because when we were younger, reason why we weren't out stealing cars, the reason why we weren't out clowning certain things, because we had different sets of structures. Now, obviously, you know, our parents had better jobs with the industrial age, too. But when you have structures, man, I can tell you the four coaches I had. My first coach was my daddy. My second coach was a man by the name of Billy Prince. And then my second coach was my Uncle Charles Freeman and my Uncle Leonard Freeman. They was brothers, but they coached. But when they coached us, and they coached us with love, with discipline, so all of the stuff we learned out on the streets, all of the pain we had, they gave us a place to direct that in a positive manner to show us from sports how to translate that and generalize right. that into life. So when you start talking about the athletes today, it's a little bit different because they're raised a little different than what we were. You know, sometimes we hard on these young people. And I tell the coaches this all the time. They soft. They soft. I was like, well, well who raised them? If they soft, they, hey, we got to take, we got to take some of that. We got <laughs> yeah. to take some. But I said, the thing is, you know, we always talk about like it's black history. My, recognize my culture. Well, when we look at diversity, equity, and inclusion, you also got to look at it in so many different realms. And what people usually fail to look at 
is the age as a, as a DEI standpoint. Mm-hmm. Every 20 years is a generation. That's why he's an Xer, he's a millennial, he's a Zer and whatnot like that, because it's a different tone. No, nothing shows that better than the movie Life. You know, remember when Martin Lawrence came out the first time? We just time had Guy Torrio on. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's looking at like he was like, what the? Because like, it was a whole new world. Yeah. We look at our brothers who get locked up. You get locked up for a minute, you can kind of do it. But you right. get locked up for a while, man, not too many brothers can get out of that institutionalization because they trapped in the world they was in before and they didn't get to evolve slowly mm-hmm. with it. Right. So going back to the young players, the coaches haven't been able to evolve in the same way. And so they use the same old school tactics. It's like a, a war general fighting World War Two in 2021. We got all work. this technology. Yeah. And you got me out yeah. here. What a we, got, we got drones in there. <laughs> right, right. And you got me out here on the front lines like we about so, to stand there and shoot each other. No, I didn't say the Shaka Zulu days right. is gone. I can't circle you no more. Like, and so so the real thing is like what, what you start talking about. Though, and it's a beautiful thing because these young players – they got, they got a little different stuff than what we had, too, because now you have the dad who said, man, if I would have had this when I was growing up. Now you got dads and them training. You, you, you get, my son got this little thing called dribble up on the soccer ball. Man, he kicking that ball every day. We were <laughs> right. too poor, man, and if I would have been trying to kick something in my mama's house, shut up, keep that noise down. So I'm saying the things that we didn't have, we want to give our children. And some of them is good, but then some of them enable them a little bit, make them a little bit weaker, a little bit softer than what we were. And if we're talking real – when I was growing up, my coaches were saying the same thing about our generation. Y'all ain't tough like us. Y'all ain't strong like us. <laughs> I, I would like to say, like, when I when I was coming up, you the child didn't threaten the parent with child protective services. No, I mean, I mean, we would have got our. I mean, you could. You got slapped upside right. the head. Huh? And, my and, mama said, "Call them." And now it's my like my mama say the same thing. Call them. And I deal with a lot of things in the community. I see a lot of uh, fear. That somebody's going to come in like the child seems like he has the advantage because when he acts up in school, he can uh, go home and tell the mother, hey, the teacher did this to me. Or if the teacher says, hey, you know, you know, or the mother does something to the child. Next thing the child go tell the teacher that the mother did something at the house. And either way, there's going to be a reaction. Now, you ain't lying. That, like he said, I was a school psychologist. We'll get into that on the opposite <laughs> side of the brain. Because now the, my, my mama used to whoop me if the teacher said something. Now the mama's coming up to whoop the teacher. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. mom came right. up to the school like, oh, can I use your gym? They're like, uh, no. First off, I was doing any and everything to not have them call my mama. No, don't call my mama. I'd be like, look, look, right. I, I, send me to jail. Don't call my mama. <laughs> Plenty of good conversation well, we're having here. Right. <laughs> on this special edition called Black History always as we dissect and have this roundtable discussion on the intersection between sports, race, and pop culture. I'm Telly Hughes, joined by Tori Lowe and Tony Smith, and we'll have more with Dr. Kwaku Blacksmith on Black History Always when we return.
Welcome back to Black History Always. I'm Telly Hughes in the studio with Tori Lowe and Tony Smith and also joined by Dr. Kwaku Blacksmith. We've been having a roundtable discussion exploring in the intersection of sports, race, and pop culture. And we're pleased to be joined by another special guest, former Wisconsin Badger linebacker, Chris Orr. Chris, thanks for taking the time to join us on this conversation tonight. No problem, no problem. Thanks, y'all, for having me. Thank you for joining us once again. We've been talking about, like, a lot of different things, the experience of the black athlete, and just take us through your experience in Madison as being a young African-American playing football for the Badgers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Madison was very, very different for me. I'm from from Dallas, Texas, and uh, the high school I went to, our, our our socioeconomic uh, makeup was, man, we were 85% black and 15% Hispanic, maybe 80-20, but I, I didn't have any uh, white classmates. So coming up to Madison was a complete flip for me uh, outside of the locker room. But within the locker room, uh, we probably were about 50-50. And I, I think that was probably the best thing about it was that Football, you know, especially at the college level, you have about 120 guys, you know, on a team, and they're all coming from these different areas. And, you know, I had teammates who had never been teammates with, with a black player before, and um, it, it was definitely a unique experience. But uh, you, you you find your – you know, there's, there was highs and lows of it for sure. You know, I'm not going to sit here and act like everything was peaches and cream, but um, – the lows didn't happen until outside of the locker room because within the locker room, everybody's just learning about each other. It's actually a very free-flowing state, uh, free-flowing um, space where everybody can speak freely. Uh, you know that nobody's coming from a place of uh, anger or, or spite or anything like that. They're coming from ignorance in the, in the, in the purest form of the word. So, so it was a good time, but it, it definitely still had its lows. Chris, uh, <clears throat> Tony Smith here. I I I went to Marquette and I found a s- similar uh, situation. But I I had been around uh, white students uh, most of my schooling through throughout junior high and high school. But um, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, from your experience, did you find it uh, different in the in the locker room than on campus per se? Because you know you might be walking around campus and they don't really know that you're on the football yeah. team. I, and sometimes I. I kind of got some of that too. Like you're walking around Milwaukee, I'm downtown Milwaukee at that time, and you know people don't know that you necessarily play for the team. And I've had situations, and I'm wondering if you had similar situations where people are acting kind of funny, and then suddenly they find out, oh, you're on the basketball team. Now they totally flip, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, I've definitely had uh, my fair share of those experiences where, where somebody acting funny with you, man, or saying some stuff that that you even know that they don't even believe and mm-hmm. they find out who you are and they're like oh and, and now they're just a completely different person um but yeah i mean shoot the other thing too but not not only that but you know i've had bad experiences you know growing up in texas as well but it was just different like in texas the difference was like i, I knew where i was welcome and i knew where i wasn't versus uh when i got here something that i realized was that Everybody was nice, and then one day you'd be talking to somebody, and they might they might tell you something crazy, and you're like, man, that's that's not true. Like, you know, you have people telling you, like, oh man, um, I, some some wild stuff. Like, I, I got an extra muscle in my leg, just like you, 
And what's crazy is, like, I heard that in uh, high school, actually. It was after we beat a predominantly white team, and their coach decided to say that uh, about us. Uh, but, you know, it, it, was, it was a unique experience because these were some people that, you know, in the moment I would look at as, like, you know, true and genuine friends, you know, outside of, outside of the team. And then um, one day you catch them saying that, and they wouldn't realize you, – you, you spent a lot of time educating people on what was right and what was wrong. And I'm even educating people and telling them like, Hey man, like, you know, there's white stereotypes too. Like I, like I, that, that's what I grew up hearing. Just like you grew up hearing about the black stereotypes. Right. Exactly. I grew up the opposite way, man. So, you know, you know, it's, it's a two way street, but you no, know, I definitely had my fair share of those experiences. Probably the biggest one was uh, we had an event, we had uh, an incident at, one of our football games, uh, my sophomore year, we were playing Nebraska. Somebody was defiling uh, themselves with the, the Barack Obama mask on, and that was that was a it was a tough time because we just it was an emotional win. Like it was overtime. Uh, they're a pretty good team that year, and, and we beat them. And we get to the locker room, and you know, pretty much everybody, you know, by the time you celebrate and you know, talk to your coaches and all that when you check your phone, like, you got so many people telling you, like, man, do you know what was going on while you was playing in the game and all these different things? And then we see the picture, and it, it was it was a good moment for us because we were all able to come together mm-hmm. as black student athletes at UW and come out with a statement. And uh, Coach Alvarez was the athletic director at the time, and I actually was able to sit in on his meeting uh, with some campus leaders. And, you know, it was it, it was a very unique experience for me, but I was happy to see people – you know, standing up for us. And, and it was some random, like, sitting, bought their tickets off of, like, Grubhub or um, not Grubhub or, <laughs> or Ticketmaster or something. Cheaptickets.com. Uh, yeah, cheaptickets.com. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got a question for you, uh, Chris. It's Tori. It's Tori. Now, I, I noticed, like, when you're on a small campus and you're the minority, um, did you ever run into police issues? See, I, or you I or anybody uh, you know uh, that you yeah. knew that it was because they were uh, black. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I didn't personally. But, um, yeah, I did have a teammate who actually, he was, uh, so you, you know, there's UW-Madison is a big uh, moped campus, and you're not allowed to have two people on at a time unless it's those are certain miles per hour and, like, classifies as a motorcycle. So uh, one of my teammates was on the back with his girlfriend, and uh, they get stopped by police, and his, his girlfriend's white. She's driving. He's just riding on the back, and they get stopped, and they only ask for his ID. They only want to know what he was doing that night. And um, what's crazy was that, like, that was one of his first experiences like that. And I was like, yeah, man, like, like this is real, bro. Like, <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't fake. I'm like, man, you lucky that you, you, you've made it this far in your life with, without one of those experiences, to be honest, because I had a few, you know, prior to getting to UW, but – but not on campus, but yeah, no, we definitely had a few of our teammates like that, but usually we had a good relationship because, you know, they're escorting us everywhere. We get, we get along with them really well and they get to know you you at a personal level. So not too much. We're talking to Chris Orr, former Wisconsin Badger linebacker on Black History Always. And Chris, you're talking about some of your experiences while you were in Madison as a student athlete. And when you look back on your experiences, uh, how would you overall assess your time in Madison? Do you feel like you had a good experience? Do you feel like there are some things you could have done differently or some experiences that you wish you didn't have? 
Yeah, um, I would say overall it was good, but I think the the biggest thing that I learned actually while being a, a student athlete on campus was that you know we had uh, myself being a student athlete and our, our just our students of color that that didn't play any sports uh, we would have sometimes different experiences because for the most part you, you're able to protect yourself as an athlete if you want to you can just hang around your teammates all the time you don't have to you know mingle with anybody else because it's such a wide variety of uh, individuals on your team you know and there's a new batch coming in every year so you could you could easily mess down and just stay with the football team and never you know have some of those experiences but you know the, the biggest thing that I that I found was that you know, we would be talking to uh, our students of color. I would tell them, like, hey, man, like, we have the same experiences as y'all. I was like, I know you might not think that because people are cheering our names, but, you know, we got this helmet on. Like, nobody actually knows us. And that's that's where I talk about the experience that I had before where, you know, people would slander you or whatever. Like, a couple of my teammates and I, like, we're walking home. We done had the N-word yelled at us and snowballs thrown at us, like, all of that. But all in all, it was it was a good experience because I feel like that's a it's a societal issue that you know you're not really going to be able to escape almost no matter where you go unless you're in a predominantly black community. To be honest, so it was it, it overall I would say it was good, but there's definitely some experiences that uh, I wish I didn't have and I wish that others didn't have for sure. Chris Orr, we appreciate you, former Wisconsin Badger linebacker. Thanks for taking the time to join us on Black History Always, sharing some of your experiences and hopefully in, in educating and helping someone else out along in their journey. Thanks for your time. Of course. Thank you. All right. All right, that's Chris Orr, former Wisconsin hey, Badger. Hey, is that a shot at me? Hey, hey yeah, man, we know that you don't you Come don't on, care Chris. about <laughs> you don't care about Let's go, Wisconsin. Let's go. <laughs> but I want to turn to Dr. Smith and and just kind of reacting off of what you heard Chris Orr talk about in terms of his experience. I know that you have worked with uh, Wisconsin Badger athletes, and when you have different athletes coming from different backgrounds how is it for you to navigate and see what their background is versus how can they translate and 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 really become a part of the college community well you know what the, the reason why i didn't want to ask so many questions and i'm gonna just be honest with the audience is because he still does work with the badgers i don't want to say anything that might make put him in an uncomfortable position but i'm gonna say stuff that he couldn't say, and most of the athletes would want to say, but can't say. There it is. One, That's thing, why you here. One thing he said that was right on the, on the button is this. A lot of our black athletes will have pretty good experiences at colleges because they're shielded by a bubble. And he said, if I don't want to do anything outside of football – it's good. And that's what the football coaches want because you know how they keep black and white out because you keep everybody in the bubble. And now it's red and white. It's this football. This is our singular goal. This is what we do. And I think that's one of the biggest thing, mistakes that a coach can make because now what you're saying is you're not preparing this person for when they come outside of the bubble. And so as far as what he's saying, athletes and non-athletes totally don't have the same experience. Uh, not at all. Tony, if they see him, that's a tall brother, so they kind of know something. Chris right. is a pretty thick brother, so they—it's just like being black in Green Bay. They, you play for the Packers. If you got any kind of size, that's that's the first thing right. they think. But for the person who is not on that campus, the level of discrimination that they get. Whenever you look at any of the PWI, especially Power Five conferences, you look at their population of student athletes of color, and then you look at their population of students of color that's non-athletic. 
And it'll go from that 50%, like he said, down to 2.3% right. on the campus. And now it's a whole lot more lonelier. And now you don't have the protection of, okay, you don't know who I am. Now you know who I am. And I get better treatment. It's like, oh, yeah, you're nobody. You are all of the other stereotypes that I thought about. Mm-hmm. And so when we started to go about these college campuses, I, I just left the sports psychologist conference. And the, the sad part is I had to put my, my colleagues to the task because I said, you treat all of these people like they're the same. And I said, they're not. And I said, I'm listening to what you're saying now. It's a micro assault here. It's a microaggression here. It's all of these different things. And what he said was so true. A lot of stuff is done in ignorance. If you don't know certain things, it's just certain things you don't know. But now that's why it's incumbent upon the black faces that's in these spaces to be able to be bold enough to say exactly what it is. But me and Tori was kind of talking offline. When you are that person who's bold enough to say something, it comes at a price. And I always tell people, if you're not willing to die for something, then you're already in trouble. Because once you're ready to die for something, you have a passionate cause. And dying is not always literally dying, but it might mean maybe I don't elevate in my career right here. Because now who do I want to ruin? People who's going to say what I say, agree with what I say. I'll tell you a, a true example about Wisconsin. When Ahmad Arbery got killed, the psychological department was like, hey, listen, we need to pull our students together. We're already dealing with COVID. This was a pretty traumatic thing. Oh, this kid lives in Georgia. What, what they got to do with us? What? Wow. Now? couple months later, George Floyd is killed. Now the, the, the world is like this. So we get on a big Zoom call, every coach, every coach from all 23 different sports. Now, Tony, you know this. Coaches are territorial, and they got all the answers. Mm-hmm. Yep. But this day, everybody, um. I said, <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said, now we got all the answers, but today we don't got the answers. I said, these are the same children that you went into their parents' house and said, I'm going to take care of him right. like my son, like my daughter. And now when something comes up, <laughs> You don't know what to say. And that's why, if you remember, Barry Alvarez went on Twitter and wrote, Black Lives Matter. Because everybody was like, y'all not even standing up for us. But it took the, the nation to make them stand up. But then the thing is, they turned the, the white W into a black W, put it on hats and things, said Black Lives Matter. And as soon as it died down, all that conversation died down with it. It's rhetorical assurance. They tell you things are going to change. And then when you ask for them to change, it's a bureaucracy takes time. Just slow down <laughs> with it. I know we got to go, but man, don't get me started on the hypocrisies inside of all of it. They say stuff to check the boxes, but man, a lot of that stuff right. is insincere, and I, I dare anybody to call and tell me something different. And and I mean, I, I don't want you to stop. I really don't, because it does spark this conversation, but what's next? How do we convert this conversation into action? We have been expressing and talking about some of the experiences and some of the racial experiences that we have made we may have had to encounter and um you know how do you know what is the next step what do we do we'll have more on that we'll try to answer that question on the other side of the break this is black history always tony Tony, we don't want you to relive your uh, rap career. Uh, what? What? Don't hate. Don't hate. <laughs> you made John Rue live like again. <laughs> it's a physical. <laughs> TMC. Yeah, this, it, no, this was, is uh, triple that was, T's of the That was run TMC when we played. Uh, that was Tracy, yeah, we, Michael, uh, and Carlton. When we played uh, Golden State in the playoffs, oh, okay. it was Rick, Mitch Richmond, uh, Chris, Chris Mullen. Mullen. 
and, and uh, Tim, Hardaway. Tim Hardaway. Yep. Run T M C. And Wisconsin stole that from them. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, they sure did. <laughs> Welcome back to Black History Always. You're listening to Tony Smith, Tori Lowe, I'm Telly Hughes, joined in the studio by Dr. Kwaku Blacksmith. We've been having some very interesting discussions about the intersection of race, sports, pop culture, and everything else that African-American experience in this country and the journeys that uh, our different guests who have joined us have had to overcome. And we were just getting into, and I really hate that we're coming to the end of the show because we need another hour. Yeah, I think we really do need another hour because this has been a really good platform to discuss some of the experiences that we have had had as African-Americans. And before our last break, I posed a question of what's next. How can we turn some of these conversations into actions or very much so really just encourage the next generation to not maybe experience some of the mistakes that we have had to experience um, no matter what the case may have been. And uh, Dr. Smith, you were really on a roll before we got off, uh, before we had to go to break and, and just want to get your thoughts on how can we start to move these conversations into action? Let me add to, I'm going to add to your, to the question that he had. Cause uh, when Chris was talking, he was talking about like, he was seriously had to like educate some people, right? Yes, on, on stuff because they don't know. And I and I run into the same thing. I got a lot of friends. I I do a lot of stuff on Facebook with with uh, with uh, controversial questions, and you get people talking to you. Matter of fact, my partner Homer on the air. He's 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 a guy who's not afraid to ask a question, which I love. I don't like you just having your own notions mm-hmm. and then just sitting there like, oh yeah, yeah no, this is no. Ask me if you don't know. Ask me. I'm gonna tell you. Right. right? So. Uh, I'm just curious what you think. Like, how do how do you handle that? Like, when people, you know, they have the stereotypes. I mean, yeah, and they they do. They just have them. Because right? Tony, let's just be honest. And I'm sorry. I know this is like a super loaded question now, but <laughs> I mean, all. just with Black History Month, just being a black man, you almost feel uncomfortable when you're around your white colleagues because it's they don't know what to say to you, and they don't know if they should say happy. February twenty second, or, <laughs> or or what the case may be. So, um, just just talking about once again, just the steps forward we can start to take. And I mean, because race isn't going anywhere, racism isn't going anywhere. And how do we start to cultivate a better culture moving forward? Yeah, so that, it's a lot in that question. I'm gonna try to answer it with James Baldwin. He said, "To be a relatively conscious black man in America is to be in a constant state of rage." And then they asked him, they said, do you hate America? He said, no, he said, just the opposite. He said, I love America. I hate that America doesn't love me the way that I love her. And he said, it's because I love America that I find it in my nature, the right to perpetually criticize her until it comes correct. And so to Tony's point, I think this is what it is. We have to keep that anger. Malcolm X said, he said, don't just be mad. He said, get angry because angry makes you change. things." But now the question becomes, what's the weapon that we use? And I believe in Martin Luther King. I do believe that the, the, the weapon of love is more powerful than anything. Now, you mm-hmm. may not always be able to use it, but now it comes to relationships. We just talked about custom model. We talk about Barry Alvarez and things of that nature. Every I don't care what school you go to. You got one white teacher that get it. And if you mess with that teacher, everybody else got her back or got his back. Now, you ain't messing with Miss Such and Such. You, mm-hmm. you can mess with them over there. But, but her right she here. She cool. Uh-uh. Yeah, begin- yeah. So so that lets you know. And we're going to identify that person all so, the time. So, so race, we got to remember, it's not a biological construct. It's a social construct. So how do you break that down? 
going into what Tony said. Now we have to have questions and answers. That's why Carter G. Woodson say, you know what? We need to have a Negro Achievement Week because y'all think less of us. Let us tell you what we contributed to this to this whole country. Then they said, well, you know what? A week is not enough. Let's have a month to talk about the celebration so we can break down these stereotypes. Now the question becomes this. I tell most people who think they're white, I say, you're not really white. you white-like. And they said, what you mean I'm white like? I said, if you can't, uh, if you got to work tomorrow, you ain't white. Because white is not a color. As Dick Gregory said it at best. He said, white is an attitude. And it's an attitude where like, I don't need you. We talk about it's a two-tier justice system. Mm-mm, it's four-tier. So what, what's, the, what's the bottom rung? That's for the poor people of color. Ain't got no hope. Then you got the poor white people who get a little bit better because that white knight, that whiteness gives them a thing. Then you got the Martha Stewart's of the world who get the slap on the wrist when they do the bad thing. Then you got <laughs> right. that fourth tier who, I don't care what I do, you ain't even touch me. I ain't even going Hunter to Biden. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what I fear. <laughs> so, 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 so when we talk about that, it's what we have to do is this. It goes back now to history. Think about Bacon's Rebellion. And Bacon's Rebellion, this was before color really it became a thing. People was known by their nationalities. Or he's a Spaniard, he's a Frenchman, mm-hmm. he's a this. But what happened is they recognize, oh, if all these people get together and they come and against, against us, the aristocrat yeah. class, we in trouble. And so what they started doing, they started making different divisions. Wasn't nobody white. The Jews that came in, the Italians that came in, the Czechs that came in, they were different. They was on a lower level. But then they said, oh, look, these numbers is leaving. Okay, you can be white light. So even mm-hmm. though you don't got it good, you got it better than this. Right. And what you say, I don't care if I got a 63, look at somebody else got a 52, right? Oh, wow. That, that's the mindset. So yeah. to the point, how do we make it better? What we got to do is come together as people understand who the true enemy is. And once you understand who the true enemy is and you get a collective of the people, when they say power to the people, Fred Hampton, the strongest, blackest man that you can see, he said, man, I don't hate nobody. You can't kill hate with hate. You can't put out fire with fire. You put out fire with water. You put out hate with love. He said, let's get all my poor white brothers. Let's get all my poor Hispanic brothers. Let's get all my poor people together and come together righteously and then destroy. We talked about Fred Hampton today on the Tory Lowe show. Exactly that mentality. If if we can all come together, that's how we do it. Because the greedy people, you think about the oligarchs and the plutocrats of the world. You got 1% of a a ruling population that owns so much other wealth. And we fighting for the scraps. And we fight against that, each other. But that one percent's got those people right below them thinking that they're part of that one percent. And, and see, that's right. the deception. And you're, you're not part of the one percent. So <laughs> what we have to do? Think about. Look at what just happened yesterday with the vote. Think about how many people voted against their own best interests because of what they thought the facade that right. was there. So that only comes with education. Yeah. No. Oh, okay. No. No. Yeah, no, no. no. So so when we start talking about how do we make it do what we can't do is we. I love what James Bowman said. He said I'm an eternal optimist, so I can't give up. When I think about what our ancestors went through, when you get a chance to go back to the motherland and you go into those dungeons and you see all of the stuff that they did, you say, Oh, if they went through this, what can I go through? And right. so I said they made it better for me. Now it's our part to make it better for the next generation. We can't give up. Can't stop. Don't stop. Won't stop. And that is a great way to end this great conversation. Hey. Hopefully, a we got to continue two this. Is on the way. Absolutely, I cannot agree with you more. And when we get the okay, we will definitely pass that information along. Doctor Kwaku Blacksmith, thank you for coming in. Oh, I love. Thanks for Salute letting me join y'all. Yes, Respect, sir. Kids. Yes, sir. Tony Smith. You once again, you can yep. catch Homer and Tony on ESPN Milwaukee ninety four point five. Two to four, Two baby. Two to four with Homer. Every Thanks day. for your time, Tony. Yep. 
Tory Lowe, the Tory Lowe, Tory Lowe show. The Tory Lowe show on the hey, truth. My mother in law loved Tory Lowe. She listened to him. Bad things. God bless you. And that'll do it for us. I'm Telly Hughes. Thanks for listening in. This has been Black History. Always make it a good one. <laughs>